Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Hawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 26 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and today we'll be doing something a little bit a little bit special, I would say, a little bit off the uh, beaten path of this podcast at this point. And it really, since you know, most of these podcasts are obviously going to be centering around the Atlanta Hawks, uh, today's show is going to take a bit of a wider approach. I've been asked a few times to s- sort of survey the scene when it comes to the Southeast Division, and now the time, now uh, today is the time to do that, I guess. Uh, it, it has been noted that the offseason isn't over at this point, but uh, for the most part, NBA teams are you know pretty much fully formed, and that can be applied to the four teams that the Hawks will do battle with for the division title this year. Uh, obviously, the division title is not necessarily the, the ultimate goal for any NBA team, but uh, there is a banner that hangs in the in Phillips Arena as to uh, every time the Hawks win the division. So that's something that the organization obviously values, and it should be a, a, an, an instructive point when trying to figure out what to expect from the Hawks this year. Uh, for the sake of fairness, we'll just go through these in alphabetical order, but I wanted to break down each and, each and every one of these teams in the Southeast Division real quick. It's sort of a primer. We're, gonna, we're probably going to have a guest on uh, to discuss, you know, if not all these teams, most of these teams in the coming days as the season approaches. But I want to take this time to uh, sort of go through the, uh, the teams in the division one by one and sort of uh, prime you and get you ready for the season as, it, uh, as it's quickly arriving. Uh, the first team is, of course, the Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets did uh, look very similar right now uh, to the way they did a year ago. That's not so bad when you consider that they finished with a 48-34 and 34 record. That also happens to be the same as what the uh, Hawks did this last year. Uh, Charlotte did move on from Al Jefferson, and they added Roy Hibbert in his place and sort of that utility backup center role. That's definitely a downgrade, but some of that could be mitigated by the fact that the, uh, the, the Hornets do get Michael K. Gilchrist back this season from an injury. MKG is a guy I really, really like uh, on the defensive end of the court, former number two, number two overall pick. He should help them a lot in terms of athleticism and uh, length on the wing. Uh, this is a team that's been very good defensively in terms of, uh, out, you know, I would say overachieving versus their personnel under Steve Clifford. Uh, the Hornets don't have the best defensive personnel in the world, but they do play solid defense. And uh, having a guy like Kid Gilchrist in the fold, who's a legitimately elite defender when he's healthy, could be very, very helpful. For Charlotte this season, uh, for the most part, the core is back. As the you know, the Hornets spent a lot of money to retain Nick Batum and uh, old friend of ours Marvin Williams. Uh, also, the, they still have Kemba Walker at point guard. Um, there's nothing wrong with either of the contracts. I think uh, for Batum and Williams. And in fact, uh, Charlotte actually got a discount on Marvin when you were talking about sort of his market rate. Um, it was a, it's a rather lengthy contract for Marvin, who's already 30 years old, but uh, he was very, very, very good, sort of under the radar last year for the Hornets. Uh, Hawks fans obviously have their feelings about Marvin Williams, but for the most part, uh, he was fantastic a year ago. And he, uh, if they can simply get him to replicate that or anything close to that, that'll be a value contract for Charlotte. Uh, the Hornets did lose Courtney Lee, 
which is a big uh, big loss for the for the team on the wing. Uh, the way that, a way that they're going to probably look to replace him uh, was to send a first round pick this year uh, to Sacramento for Marco Bellinelli. That was kind of a uh, an awful move in my estimation in terms of overall value. Uh, sending away a first round pick, uh, even in a bad draft. For a guy like Bellinelli, who's not really a value on his contract, was not not the way to go. I don't think um, in terms of value, but Bellinelli can shoot and uh, is a guy who you can plug in the rotation. And Charlotte's probably going to do that based on what they paid to get him for this year. In an overall sense, I'd be pretty surprised if Charlotte repeated their 48 win their 48 win per season from a year ago. I think they uh, a little bit overachieved. Had some guys have career years. I, you know, Batum had the best year of his career. Marvin Williams had the best year of his career. Kemba Walker had the best year of his career. Um, it, it will help them to get Kiko Chris back, but at the same time, it looks like a playoff caliber team, just not necessarily one that I'm expecting to win 48 games again. A lot of that can be uh, traced to the fact that Steve Clifford's very, very good at his job. I'm a big fan of Clifford. Uh, I think he has. there's a reason why this team overachieves versus its talent level, and that's that can be tied to Clifford, much like it could be tied in Atlanta to Mike Budenholzer. I think Clifford is up there in that class, For even though he's uh, not a guy you hear a lot in terms of upper-tier coaches. Uh, he does a very, very good job, and he should be commended for that. Um, you know, this is, this is a team that has some depth, some talent, um, not, not the flashiest team in the world, but Charlotte's a team that should be in the playoffs this year unless things go terribly, and I don't think they, uh, they will, at least to the point where I couldn't predict that to be the case. Uh, before we get uh, going on any more of the teams, I did want to talk to you about our, our sponsor for today's podcast. That is SeatGeek, and the, the guys at SeatGeek have been uh, great in sponsoring this podcast lately. I hope you've been uh, patronizing their app and their website, um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that just now. Uh, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show that you want to go to, and none of the older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is very different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that make uh, buying tickets easier and easier than ever for fans. Uh, SeatGeek is also the first place that I go to to go look for uh, tickets to really anything, uh, concerts or sports. I've recently been spending some time on the SeatGeek app looking for Atlanta Falcons tickets for the upcoming season. That's not a team that I'm covering uh, directly anymore, so to get, to get in the building, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be heavily reliant on SeatGeek, and they've been uh, certainly paving the way for me to do that. Uh, everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. Uh, they do all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save all the time and all the money. Uh, SeatGeek also wants you to help the, uh, they also want to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. This is called Deal Score. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, um, listeners to this podcast get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Yes, that's a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. And in order to get that rebate, you need to download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Uh, and there you'll enter the promo code LOHAWKS. That's LOHAWKS. Uh, SeatGeek will also send you $20 after you made that first ticket purchase. And, uh, you know, that not, today is the best day possible to go ahead and do that. So go ahead and download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOHAWKS today. With that out of the way, we can move on to uh, the next team on the agenda, and that is the Miami Heat. 
Uh, the Heat, uh, you know, it was sort of been a weird offseason for Miami, I would say. First off, it's going to be very bizarre to watch the Heat play without Dwayne Wade for the first time in a very, very long time. Dwayne Wade is uh, famously departed for Chicago after something of a standoff with Pat Riley. And in my opinion, the Bulls were sort of the only team that ever made sense for Wade to leave, given that he's from there. But even then, it's still going to be very odd to watch him in any other uniform. Uh, at any rate, uh, the Heat are certainly worse on the court without him. Uh, and they're also very, uh, uh, you know, I would say infinitely, infinitely less interesting to talk about without Dwayne Way. He's not really the same player that he was in his prime, but still a very, very good player when he's on the court. And that's a big loss for Miami. The, the other big, no, the, the other big unknown for the Heat is, of course, the status of Chris Bosh. Without him, this might this may not be a playoff team. I'm, I would go that far to say he's that important to them. Uh, Bosch's medical condition is far from solidified right now, and medical retirement is something that's been talked about um, numerous times with Bosch. He's had the blood clotting issues, and they're very sort of sketchy in terms of the information that's out there and available when talking about Bosch. If they have him on this team, I think this is a team that has you know top three or four seed upside in the, in the Eastern Conference, but without him, um, even with some of the guys that they retained, I think Miami's going to be looking uh, really kind of to be on the fringe of that playoff conversation in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the big expenditure this year uh, in the offseason was to, for this, was to retain Hassan Whiteside, the uh, very talented and enigmatic center. Uh, he'll form a, a trio with uh, Goran Dragic and Justice Winslow to kind of be the core for the Heat moving forward. Uh, Whiteside's a very combustible guy uh, off the court uh, in sort of his uh, demeanor and his uh, social media presence for a couple of reasons, but there's no denying that he's, uh, he's a very talented player and sort of a monster guy in the paint when he's keyed in and uh, focused. I'm also, you know, obscenely high on Justice Winslow. It's a guy I've loved for a long time, going back to Duke. He should be a lot of fun to watch his mature, you know, as he matures in year two, uh, especially on the offensive end. I think his defense is already quite good, so he, he could turn into a legitimate monster on the defensive end of the court and offensively. Um, Winslow's a guy who has some upside, not not star upside on that end, but certainly some uh, some quality skills. Um, also, Miami made a very interesting decision to match. A, uh, an arenas limited offer sheet to Tower Johnson. Uh, you know, essentially they're going to be paying him $50 million over the next four seasons. And for a guy like Tower Johnson, who's very you know relatively anonymous in NBA circles, that seems like a lot of money. I do like Tyler Johnson quite a bit, to be honest with you. Um, he's a very good athlete who can shoot the ball, can handle the ball. He's only 24 years old. Um, and, you know, in this cap environment, you know, four years, 50 million is not uh, not a huge expenditure. I think about the Kent Bazemore deal, which is significantly more money than that. And Baze is uh, quite a bit older than Johnson. Obviously, I think Baze is a better player right now. But Johnson's upside, I would say, is higher than Bazemore's. And to get him on a cheaper deal, there's nothing really wrong with that. The problem, though, is the structure for Miami with this with this contract. They had to match an offer sheet that he signed with Brooklyn. Uh, Johnson will earn more than $18 million in 2018-2019 and more than $19 million in 2019-2020. That could get pretty ugly if he's not a starter uh, by that point in time. If he's just a sort of even even a, even in a reliable bench option, that's going to be look, looking like an overpay in those last two years. But on the bright side, uh, the Heat do also have Josh Richardson, who's a very, very cheap young guy. And with those two chances to sort of knock one out of the park in the backcourt, there's a pretty good there's pretty good likelihood that they hit on one of those two guys in the near future um, to sort of not 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 replace Dwayne Wade, but to give Goran Dragic somebody to run with in the backcourt. Uh, Miami is uh, again a, a team that has a very very wide range of outcomes given uh, the status stuff with Bosch and his health, and also Whiteside. You know now that he's been paid, I'm not sure.
sure that he's going to be the most locked-in guy in the world. But you know, there's a lot of questions that they have to be answered between now and even the start of training camp, especially with Bosch. But um, you know, it's a tough team to peg down with Bosch. That's a uh, you know at least a 45 win team, I think, somewhere in there. And without Bosch, it's, it could be a team that wins in the low 30s. So a lot of different things to talk about with Miami Heat this year. From there, we can move on to the Orlando Magic. Uh, I'll simply put, I would say that nobody knows what Orlando is doing. Uh, neither do I in terms of their long-term plan. Uh, this is a team with a lot of talent, uh, and but it doesn't really fit together, in my estimation, in the most optimal way possible. Uh, they obviously spent a, uh, a big move this offseason was acquiring uh, Serge Ibaka while sending away Victor Oladipo and the lottery pick that became uh, former Gonzaga big man, Demonis Sabonis, who's a guy I really liked in the draft. Um, in terms of this season, I, I you know that's definitely gonna at least make them more intriguing. Uh, that you know they could conceivably improve with Ibaka on a short-term contract, but he only has one year left on his contract, which made that which made that deal uh, certainly an interesting one for Orlando to, to put things mildly. Uh, you know, Old Depot to be fair, only had one year uh, on his contract as well, but he he will, he'll be restricted at the end of the year, whereas Ibaka is much older. And he'll also be unrestricted at the end of the season. Uh, throw, throw in the fact that um, Orlando went on to sign Bismack Biombo, who I actually love as a uh, as a role player center. But uh, now they have Nikola Vucevic, Bismack Biombo, and Serge Ibaka on the same team. And while Ibaka, you know, could be playing, you know, obviously he's more he's been more of a primary power forward in, in Oklahoma City lately. But Ibaka is, you know, sort of a hybrid four five, and obviously both Vucevic and Biombo are both pure centers. So I'm not really sure how the minutes work out there between those three guys, and that's sort of uh, one other reason why Orlando's plan doesn't really make a ton of sense to me and, and others. Uh, also, the Magic went out and signed Jeff Green to a one-year $15 million contract. Yes, Jeff Green is making $15 million for next season um, for reasons that are kind of passing understanding, in my opinion. Uh, Jeff Green's been a guy who's been tantalizing throughout his career, but no one in the NBA world understood that contract. Obviously, one-year contracts are, you know, Sort of famous for being, it's it's almost tough to sign a bad one-year contract because at least it's not a long-term commitment. It's just money at that point in time. There's not really an opportunity cost. But uh, signing Green to that deal didn't make any sense considering he's not going to be in the rotation unless something uh, goes wrong for Orlando. So that doesn't really make sense. Your guess is as good as mine on that one. Uh, there are a couple of uh, overarching things to talk about with Orlando's roster building, I think. Um, but as far as 2016, 2017 is concerned, there's a ton of pressure on two guys in the backcourt, uh, Alfred Payton. Uh, this is sort of a make-or-break year for Alfred Payton, Alfred Payton, the former lottery pick out of Louisiana Lafayette. Um, has great hair, uh, has great defensive tools, a good passer, but Payton can't create his own shot. He can't shoot at all. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if he can prove to be even a low-level starting point guard. I think he's more of a backup in this league, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, they have to make a decision on his contract fairly soon. So Peyton is going to – but he's, on the bright side, for Peyton, he's really the only uh, the only show in town in terms of a uh, actual starting point guard option. So he'll get a long leash, but I'm not sure he's going to be able to uh, take, a, take full advantage of that. Uh, next to him, Mario Hazonia was the lottery pick uh, just a year ago. He had a very quiet season. Um, and basketball Twitter obviously loves uh, Mario Hazonia. If anybody is uh, keyed into basketball Twitter, this is a guy who has been a darling of a lot of people. Uh, I think about Daniel LaRue, um, who is uh, you know a host of the Real Real GM podcast, also a co-host regularly of the of the Dunkdown podcast. Danny's huge on Mario Hazonia. He's not the only one. I really like Hazonia as well. 
a very, very talented player, um, guy who is uh, could be volatile, has some personality stuff that's entertaining. I'm not sure it's going to be the greatest fit in terms of being a teammate unless he's a superstar, but we'll see more of him this year now that Scott Skiles is no longer the coach of the Orlando Magic. That helps in terms of getting him on the court, and now that Frank Vogel is around, I think he'll be a little bit more prone to playing uh, Hazonia, but between Peyton and Hazonia, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty there, but uh, even there is some upside in that backcourt, but in terms of this year, not, not a backcourt that's going to be scaring anyone uh, too deeply. Uh, Orlando does, of course, have uh, Evan Fournier as well, who they actually signed to a fantastic contract, in my opinion. It's a five-year deal worth $85 million, which sounds like a lot of money again, but uh, $17 million a year for Fournier at his age is very young. Um, and to lock him up for five years at, at, at that very, very reasonable cost is a fantastic deal, again, for Orlando. Um, he's making less money per season than Kent Bazemore, and I think um, if he's not already better than Bazemore, he certainly will be in a couple of years when he is sort of in his prime and Bazemore's uh, sort of be- beginning to uh, go down, go on the downside of his career given his age. So that contract is a wonderful one for Orlando, and that's, that was sort of the highlight of the Magic's offseason. Um, it's, it seems safe to say to me that Orlando is going to be the worst team in this division. Uh, spoiler alert there. I mean, I guess Miami could be worse if uh, Bosch is not there and things go very, very wrong in Miami. But I think Charlotte has a, a, very, a very much safer uh, baseline than Orlando does. And I think the Hawks can also be included in that discussion. Washington, who we'll get to in a second, is more volatile, but their talent level is just better overall than Orlando. So I think if uh, if you see a projection that has Orlando anywhere but, but the basement, I would be wary of that. I think it's pretty clear that they're the worst team uh, on paper in the Southeast Division. Although, you know, the addition of Frank Vogel, which I said a second ago, is going to be helpful. I think Scott Skiles never really fit this roster. Vogel's going to be a, a guy who I really like and could take advantage of this roster a little bit. So that, that's that, if you're if you're a Magic fan listening to this podcast, I'm not sure how you got here, but welcome. But uh, anyway, I think uh, Orlando could have uh, this could be intriguing. It'll be fun to watch, but I think pretty safe to say that they're the worst team in the division as we currently stand here in early September. Uh, last but not least. I want to hit on the Washington Wizards. Uh, the big, big question in D.C. Uh, yet again this year is the health of Bradley Beal. Uh, you know, really, whether he'll ever be healthy over a full season. I've kind of gotten the rap of being very low on Beal uh, versus other people. Kind of gotten some Twitter wars over Bradley Beal recently. It's not that I don't like Bradley Beal. Uh, he's a very talented player, very young player still with a nice skill set. a great shooter. Uh, my my issue is that he's not ever been very good in the NBA. He's been a good player, but not a very good player. And as it seems to me that his hype has exceeded his actual production um, to the point where I think we're building in projection with him whenever we talk about Beal versus what he actually is now. Um, you know, he's still 23 years old, and he, that definitely matters in terms of his projectability. Um, but at the moment, he's pretty overrated for me. Uh, last season was his first above-average season in terms of the metrics that I trust. And while he was very good when he played, again, in- injuries are the issue. He only appeared in 55 games, made 35 starts. They were really managing his minutes down the stretch. Uh, he's, he's a very good shooter, again, 40% career three-point shooter, but he's got a lot of work to do to live up to the deal that he just signed. He signed a five-year max contract this offseason, and Washington is in a spot where if he's not healthy and productive, that's going to look like an albatross in the future. Uh, on the bright side, the Wizards do have John Wall, who's a guy I absolutely love, and I think it's pretty safe to say that Wall and Beal form a top-five backcourt in the NBA when they're both available to play. 
And there's been some stuff off the court, a couple of interviews that were done recently with Wall and Beal that kind of lead you to believe that they don't really get along on the court. It was kind of some odd quotes from John Wall's side of things to kind of say that he and Beal uh, clash on the court but get along off the court. I'm not really sure what that really means considering it doesn't really matter how well you get, how well you get along off the court if you don't get along on the court. Um, but anyway, if those, those two guys are very talented and they uh, you don't always see whatever problems those were uh, on the court that Wall was speaking about. They generally fit together fairly well because, you know, Wall's a big physical point guard who's a very good ball handler, good defender, whereas Beal's more of a finesse guy, shooter, comes off screens. They, they do complement each other well in terms of on the court, but, you know, if Beal thinks he's better than he is and wants the ball, or if Wall was kind of getting sick and tired of the Bradley Beal uh, disappearing yeah, in terms of injuries and sort of underperforming, could be a bit of a combustible situation. It does feel like, at least to me, that Wall is flying under the radar now in terms of national consciousness because of the fact that Washington was pretty bad last year. They missed the playoffs. But uh, Wall is a double-double machine, you know, one of the best defensive point guards in the league, great passer, sort of just a physical freak. Not a great shooter. That's the one knock on John Wall. But in general, it's very nice to have him around, and I think I'm higher on most when it comes to talking about John Wall. I think he's better than some guys who uh, have higher profiles than him. I've always kind of been on the side of John Wall against Kyrie Irving even. Obviously, Irving had a great year last year. Uh, Great playoffs kind of carried the Cavs at times alongside with LeBron, of course, uh, to winning the title. So that kind of vaulted Kyrie. But in in a vacuum, I think Wall's been a better player in his career, just for a reference point. So that's how much I think of Wall. And if he can stay healthy and uh, on the court, that'll be really helpful for Washington this next year. Uh, the rest of the roster, super interesting. I think uh, Otto Porter's a good guy to start with. Porter's very solid, a former number three overall pick. So uh, the expectation train on Porter kind of got going uh, far too much considering that lofty draft stats. But he's a very solid role player, a good combo forward that fits well with the pieces in the backcourt. He's not really asked to do a ton other than just knock down shots and kind of play defense and just be a solid role guy. He can do that um, quite well, I think. Um, the Wizards spent real money this offseason on Jan Mahinmi, which is a, you know an interesting choice because of the fact that they also have Marcin Gortat. So now they have two guys who are pure centers in Mahinmi and Gortat. Um, on the bright side there, you're going to have 48 minutes a game where you're going to have a quality center on the court, I would say an above-average center on the court at all times, which that's very nice. But at the same time, you're spending you know upwards of almost you know $30 million this season uh, to have the center position and not have an elite guy there because I don't think you're going to play those guys together at all, which is uh, an interesting fit proposition and sort of a salary cap uh, question mark. But, uh, you know, on the court in terms of the roster and what to expect for this season, it's nice to have two quality centers. That's a nice investment in terms of that. Um, Washington should also uh, have an interesting time with Markeith Morris for a full season. They traded they traded for Markeith Morris with the Suns last year midseason. That didn't really work out. That gamble didn't work out in the fact that the Wizards missed the playoffs again. But Morris is a guy where if he's locked in, you saw it in Phoenix at times before he sort of got uh, a sour taste in his mouth with the Suns, that he's a very, very good player when he's trying and sort of locked in and, and happy. Uh, he's he's definitely an, an enigma in terms of personality. Ever since he was he parted ways with his brother Marcus, things have not gone well for Markeith. But if he can get sort of get over that in Washington with a full season, he's a very talented player who should pair well with either, with either Gortat or Mahimi and be a nice partner with John Wall offensively. They also went out and got Andrew Nicholson and Trey Burke on some low cost contracts, some flyer deals. Uh, I'm obviously in the tank for Trey Burke as a Michigan fan. I've 
mentioned that on the podcast before that I'm a Michigan guy. I think you know Burke's just nothing more than a backup point guard. But that's the guy I actually wanted the Hawks to look at prior to signing Malcolm Delaney. So I was happy with that Malcolm Delaney signing. But prior to that, I was uh, in on the Hawks, sort of doing some research on Burke. Um, so Washington went out and got him. That's a good move for them. And also uh, Andrew Nicholson from Orlando, who's been sort of an an under-the-radar guy who can definitely fill it up and uh, do some effective damage off the bench. In short, with Washington, I don't really think that um, they're going to be a contender for a a top three or four seed by by any means, but I think they're going to be better than they were a year ago. And if things go well, we saw two years ago with Washington, that if things go the way that they could go, with health for Beal and Wall, and now with a better coach in my mind, Scott Brooks. I'm not I'm not the biggest Scott Brooks fan, but he's an upgrade on Randy Whitman by all counts, especially in terms of cohesion. Uh, Brooks is a players guy. Uh, Oklahoma City always got got along well under his uh, leadership. Not a tactician by any means, but a players coach and one that should be a good influence in Washington. Uh, this is a playoff team, uh, barring disaster. You know, if you told me that Bradley Beal played you know 60 games this year. I'd say Washington makes the playoffs. That's kind of a, uh, I think, a pretty safe baseline. I'm not predicting he's going to play 75 or 80 games, but if you can get 50, 60 games out of Beal at a high level, that should be good enough for Washington to make a run uh, for the playoffs. That's going to pretty much do it for the podcast in terms of the, breaking down the teams. I do want to say that uh, you know there's not really a team in this division, in my mind, that has a legitimate chance to unseat um, really any of the top three seeds. But especially Cleveland. Cleveland cemented in the number one spot. I think uh, both Boston and Toronto are solidly better on paper than anyone in the Southeast Division. That kind of keeps things open for the Hawks, from, since it's obviously a Hawks-centric podcast. I think the uh, Hawks are in, are in good shape to potentially win the Southeast Division. And that might be a surprise to some of you based on what I've said in the past about the Hawks and sort of their baseline. But I'm not terribly enthused with anyone in this division, so it's a good thing in that the Hawks have a chance and a bad thing in that them having a chance doesn't really mean that they're going to be that good. It's going to be sort of a wide-open scenario where I think four of the five teams in the division could legitimately take home the division crown at the end of the year. As I said, uh, later later in the process, later in September, as we get into training camp, we're going to try to have on some guests to break these teams down in a little bit more detail, especially the uh, the more relevant ones. I think about Charlotte's one that I definitely want to target as a team who's sort of on, the, on, the, uh, on a very similar path to the Hawks and obviously had an identical record last year. Miami is always interesting also. Washington's been a team that the Hawks have uh, sort of gotten in with over the last couple of years, two years ago, playing a playoff series etc etc so thanks again for joining us on the podcast today uh, i want to thank SeatGeek again for their patronage and their sponsorship today please go out please go check out the SeatGeek app and uh, use that promo code lohawks that will do me a great service just to let them know that you're uh, using their product uh, and that you heard about their uh, services through our podcast uh, thanks again for listening please stay tuned for a, for all future shows Subscribe to the podcast, do all of those things, and tell your friends about the show. Thanks again, guys, and uh, we'll be back again later in the week.